You're looking a little flush there, Johnny. Yes. A little red in the cheeks there. A little little tongue pow for Brecky. Yeah, a little a little warm. So you know when you like try to rush a workout in and then you go to work and like, yeah. you know, I jumped in the lake, it didn't quite take. So whatever. Johnny. From the frying pan into the onto the dock, relaxing after a big trip to the world. So, okay, guys, let's do this podcast thing. Here we go. Hello, folks, and welcome to Got Your Back, NHL edition, LeBron, Rashog, and MJ. Yes, Mystic Mike Johnson back from his magical adventures overseas at the World Hockey Championships. I'm sure he's got some tales for us in what was a pretty exciting event. Canada comes away with gold, but they weren't necessarily the big story. And we'll get to that with Mike Johnson. As always, got your back. NHL edition brought to you by our great friends over at Cross Country Canada Supplies and Rentals. They provide equipment and supplies to all facets of the Canadian construction industry. But what sets them apart is their get-or-done attitude. It's a core value their company has. Their employees all live by it. They'll bend over backwards getting their clientele what they want when they need it. Absolutely no excuses. I'd say we're similar here on Got Your Back. I think that's the way we operate, fellas. Cross Country Canada Supplies and Rentals. I'm proud to have them as our title sponsors as we check in with Pierre Lebrun at the Home Post. And MJ, based on your background, I'm thinking maybe Cottage Country. Yeah, just a brief pit stop. Like, I've been home for a couple of days. I, I have to. I get to go down to Vegas on Thursday for final, so I'll be on the road again. But a couple of days, rest, recharge, get to the cottage, you know, sleep in, get the fresh air, get a couple workouts in, try to eat something healthy, you know, cottage country. Look at Pierre. Pierre's so rattled he's not at his cottage right now. I can't. I, <laughs> I, I can can't know. I mean, I, I, the last... <laughs> Two weekends, I snuck some trips up to the garden. Okay. So I, I can't I can't complain, actually. Can't complain too much. Yeah. So, so, Johnny, yeah. you, you talk about working out. You you told me before you went for a bike ride on the mm-hmm. dock. I, I need you to clarify mm-hmm. how you go for a bike ride on the dock. Do you have – you got like a you got like a stationary or recumbent bike out there? Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm, a, I'm part of the Peloton fam. I got into it like everybody else in the pandemic. So – I have a Peloton down in the boathouse, like on the water. So you can kind of like open the garage door and then you see the water right in front of you. And it's, it's a lovely place to try to work out in the morning, watch some, watch some morning sports center and then uh, jump in the water when you're done, which is what I did, which is why I'm still kind of wet, which is, uh, but it's great. It's the, it's like, it's, it's a great way to work out until the people come by that are fishing, like right in front of your dock or something. then it's kind of awkward. <laughs> They're like, who's this champ? <laughs> Look at this freaking guy. Hey, yeah, driving easy. by on their boat. Like, yeah. And then the odd time, this very rarely happens, but if it's super hot, like you might take your shirt off because I'm in my house, right? Like I'm just kind of sweating and working out. And then it's really embarrassing. If someone comes by and you have your shirt off and you're like riding a bike, it's, it's not, it's not good. Pierre, what do you got on your dock, bud? Uh, I have a boat attached to it and uh, some Muskoka chairs mm-hmm. and uh, I just sit there and I stare at my lake. And that's, that's awesome. So relaxing. Hey, by the way, Pierre, at long last, the Kuma gear is on its way. I, I've heard this. I'm it is excited. on its way, buddy. Yeah, Matt finally uh, Matt finally kicked me in the rear end. And so you got a little drinkware coming, might even be a hoodie in there. Now, MJ, if, your na- if, if we put your name on the title of this thing, that qualifies you for uh, Kuma swag as well. So maybe we'll, maybe we'll eyeball that for the future. But if your name's not on the title... 
You don't necessarily qualify for the swag just yet, but P, yours is coming, man. Well, that wait. alone might be enticing enough. That, that <laughs> mug that I see you drink out of every day, I get so jealous of. I got like a regular glass. It's unacceptable. Yeah. Oh, there you go. We'll get yeah. you some Kuma drinkware. Well, I almost don't clearly. Yeah, I almost don't have to do the sponsor read now because that was just it. But let's get to the breakdown, guys, because there's lots going on. And that, of course, is brought to you by our buddies over at Kuma Outdoor Gear. They got a wide range of gear to fit all of your outdoor needs, whether you want to go camping or do some tailgating with football season on the way. Uh, they've got a great new product in their switchback heated chair as well. Bluetooth connected switchback heated chair. Great drinkware. Uh, I was at their shop here in Edmonton the other day and uh, just love the stuff, man. They've figured out a way to actually make comfortable camping chairs. I sat in four or five different ones. Uh, so check out Kuma Outdoor Gear. All right, gentlemen, now, no place to start other than in Toronto. Darren Dreger reporting on SportsCenter that uh, Brad Tree Living on the verge of becoming the team's new general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, MJ, is it a reasonable question to ask? Why or how is Brad Tree Living an upgrade over Kyle Dubas? What do you think? Of course it's reasonable. If you replace someone, presumably you're replacing them to improve or at the very least be different. Because GMs, it's hard to say. He's better because of this. He's an upgrade because of this. What I, the, probably the better question might be is how is he different? Than Kyle Dubas. What is going to be different about Brad Trey living running the Maple Leafs than Kyle Dubas running the Toronto Maple Leafs? And whether that is better or worse, you know, that's, some of that's not even within the GM's control, but how will he be different? Now, you heard Shandy talk about wanting a guy with experience. Well, you know, he's different than Kyle was when he started in that sense. He, he has experience. Someone with a little bite, I don't know even know what that means. Um, maybe to have hard, hard decisions. And he's also faced a Canadian market that went through a pretty tumultuous player personnel time in Calgary, right? And Toronto is a Canadian market, and it's on the verge of potentially a tumultuous player personnel time, Pierre. So, I mean, I, I guess I see why he is a good candidate. I don't know until he gets in there, and maybe the coaching decision has as much to do with his how he might be different as anything. But um, I get why he's qualified. I guess we'll see how he's different. Yeah, and he's clearly been the candidate that uh, Brendan Shanahan has had uh, eyes for from the get-go. And, and yeah, he spoke to to other people, as I reported this week. He had a Zoom call with Mark Bergman, which frankly was smart to do, if anything else, just to get Mark Bergman's opinion probably of the Leafs, right? After being a division rival for 10 years. But tree living just always felt like it wasn't so much is Brendan Shanahan going to want to hire him, but more more like, why wouldn't he? And I always had that feeling of it you know they spent two and a half days together uh last week i guess it was and um you know you just had a feeling that a, an offer was coming at some point so we'll see how this ends up but as Drake said all signs point to him being hired um i think you know the question you asked ryan was is it an upgrade on kyle dubas i i guess i would answer your question with a question was there an upgrade out there available mm -hmm. and so once Brendan Shanahan put parameters on his search by saying that he wanted to hire someone with GM experience, when you consider the people actually available, that wasn't a long list of people. So I think he hired someone while well, he looks like he will hire someone if all goes well, um, that checked a lot of boxes was also available and um, and isn't afraid to make bold moves, which is exactly what this job requires right from the get-go 
uh, in terms of what lies ahead for the Toronto Maple Leafs. So um, not, not surprised if this obviously ends up being the case. Remember, though, Johnny, I mean, it was, you know, Brendan Shanahan that made the decision to part ways. So the question, is it an upgrade, is very relevant because, I mean, he should have been thinking about that before he makes that decision. Is there a better option out there? You don't make that decision on Dubas in a vacuum if you're not looking out there and thinking, here would, here would be the fallback, here would be the option. We might be in a better position if we do this. You don't make the decision to part ways with Kyle Dubas and then cross your fingers you can get somebody that's an upgrade. If you're the one that initiates it, don't you think you should? Yes, I guess what I'm saying, Shaggy, is how can you, how do you determine what makes him an upgrade? Mm-hmm. You make a case for Trey Living being better. I would make a case for Dubas being better. I can make a case for Dubas. You can, like it does like it's just it's hard to quantify. That. Absolutely appropriate, and the proof will be in the pudding. Like I, I think this is one of those things. Like, well, we have to see what's different. We have to see if they are any better on the ice. We have to see if they can do anything different in the playoffs. But yes, of course, you need an idea of someone. If you're going to let go of a guy who's very accomplished and very successful, you better have someone in mind who you think can do that. I just don't know. Like, I don't even know whoever you perceive to be the best GM in the league. I don't know who it is. Whatever, whoever it is. Mm-hmm. Like, are, are they an upgrade on Kyle Dubas? I, I, I don't know how you define that other than, well, maybe the best GM team won. That's not making the best GM. Not in my mind. So I guess it's just a hard question to answer until you see what he does. But he's qualified to get a look to try to do whatever it is they plan on doing in Toronto. Pierre, Tree Living's Flames won two playoff series in nine years. Dubas's Leafs won one playoff series in five years. Uh, you know, which guy do you think would be viewed as having had more success with their organization? I mean, neither guy's got the results that they wanted. You can mm-hmm. make the argument that Dubas had more to work with in his tenure in Toronto than Tree Living had. Yeah, and I think that uh, probably harder for Brad Tree Living to attract some top free agents to Calgary in some ways compared to to people wanting to be in Toronto. I think you have to point that out. Um, the other interesting thing is is that if 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 this thing gets finalized and it is Brad Tree Living, that his number one priority hours into his reign as GM in Toronto would be to tackle the Austin Matthews file. And of course it's still pretty fresh what Brad Tree Living lived through in terms of losing Johnny Goudreau to market last year and the pressure that would be on uh, tree living and, and Brandon Shanahan who very much is, I think under pressure at this point in terms of himself adding tears left on his deal. And, 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 and I would think that the Leafs ownership wanting to break through here very soon, but the pressure to get Austin Matthews signed um, this summer is, I don't even know if you could put a label on how much pressure there is on that. Yeah. And, and and it's crazy to me to think about as as Brad Schilling would have had these conversations with Brendan Shannon about this for sure, about whether he's reliving some some history that isn't that long ago, uh, you know, in terms of how things played out with Johnny Goudreau in Calgary. So that's pretty interesting to me. Yeah, that would be fascinating. I mean, Austin already had all the levers. You know, if Brad Schilling gets this job or whoever gets it, their first assignment, what do we do with Matthews? What do we do with Nylander? Yeah. What do we do with Marner? Like th- those are the three big things. And, and there is a time sensitive element to that with the no trades kicking in on July 1st. But uh, you know, the, the fact of the matter is Austin has all the leverage right now. Doesn't he like he legitimately can say, I don't know. 
I got to see. I don't know what no. you're all about. I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know who the coach is going to be. And do you want me to commit five, four, five, six, seven, eight years without me knowing that? And then once July 1st happens, then he's got you because he has the full no trade. Or whatever. So, he, so now you, you can't even deal him if it were to go sideways. So it's a, it's a, it's an interesting dynamic, which is part of the reason why if they're going to go down this road, like – Go to get it done already. Like I don't know what you know. Just do it and let them get to work because there's lots of work to be done. I wonder too, from an agent standpoint, if you're advising Austin Matthews and you're thinking about the guy you're sitting across the table from, and are they willing to trade this player? Are they willing to trade this player? Truly, you're sitting across from a guy that just got big time stung by you know not mm. trading a guy that was heading into that year, and I just wonder if that changes their headspace on the guy they're dealing with across the table. Not the guy that went all in on the deals. Not the guy that's been there from the start. A new guy who just got bit. Another big decision, Pierre, is Sheldon Keefe. Uh, Johnny, I'll ask you. You can answer second. But, um, you know, what's the likelihood of Sheldon Keefe coming back? And would you keep him, Johnny? But, uh, Pierre, what's your sense on the likelihood that he is back in a Brad Tree Living era in, uh, in Toronto? How would you handicap it? Sorry, I thought we were going MJ first. <laughs> oh, no. Sorry, I made that more confusing than I needed to. That was bad hosting. Yeah. I, I bad honestly hosting. have no sense yet. I think I it's was hard right, to have I was right on it, Shoggy. Yeah. I have no <laughs> sense of that because I think Go you ahead, have Pierre. to you have to finalize a GM hire. You have to hear yeah. from the GM. I, I think it'd be pure speculation at this point. So, yeah, I, I it's easy to say you would think Tree Living would want his own guy behind the bench. But... I don't know, maybe Brendan Shanahan whispers in his ear that he really likes his coach and that they should give him another year. So I, I think it's – I have no sense of it right now. I would just say this. The longer – like, we've seen coaches fall off the board, you know, day by day here, right? And mm-hmm. the longer you wait, the fewer coaches that would be available that you might want to consider. Whether they do or not, I don't know. Obviously not Spencer Carberry, but, you know, Laviolette goes to the Rangers and that's a guy off the board or – You've got brunettes now gone. Next, I got the board. Whatever it might be, the longer you wait, the tougher it is to make a change. Middle of summer, not as many people available, not as many options. So, um, yeah, it's 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 interesting. I do think it sort of flows though, Shoggy, from the from the player decision. Like if they return largely the same group, you know, I, I wonder then does Sheldon Keith make sense? because they've had success before in the regular season? Or does he not make like, – like, I think it's kind of tied in. Like, if you change the personality of the team, is it worth then changing the coach because Sheldon trying to coach a different group the same way or a different group a different way would be a tricky dynamic for a guy who's been one way his four or five years here. Not that he couldn't. Of course he's smart enough to. It's just more, you know, when you have – when you've been with a guy and he's been one way, and then he goes and becomes a different kind of coach, sometimes it's harder to land, not as captive an audience as maybe if they change. So um, – I think the longer this takes, the more likely he stays, uh, for sure. Pierre, the meeting with Matthews chronologically would happen before the decision is made on Keefe, would it not? Would you not need to hear where Austin Matthews' head is at on this situation before you just go ahead and, you know, you, you keep a guy? Or you, uh, I mean, isn't that an important conversation? Isn't Austin Matthews' perspective on that matter? Uh, yeah, but I think Brendan Shannon already knows that. Yeah. Remember, it's not like the, I mean, the least president is the one that's been here the longest. I mean, yeah. he has a pretty good sense of what's going on down there. So I, I think at the end of the day, the, going back to Matthews, what, what's fascinating to me is because I think a lot of people 
are saying a lot of the same things right now, analyzing this from afar, which is that you can easily make the case from the player's perspective that it's 15 million a year. And you can easily make the case from the team perspective that it's 13 million a year. And then what's the wiggle room in between? What do you do if you're the Leafs and, and it's 15 million a year? Are you really going to try and win without Austin Matthews? Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I don't even know what, you know, so, yeah. you know, the, the only leverage the team has is we really, really, is really want to win a cup. Yeah, we really want to win a cup. And we think you want to win a cup here. And that extra $2 million is a big deal. Now, again, these aren't numbers that, that come from either side because they haven't even got into that yet. They're waiting for the GM. But I'm just saying it's pretty obvious to me that that's where all this is headed in terms of you can see the parameters. And that $2 million matters. <laughs> so that's what's fascinating <laughs> yeah. to me is, is, is what, what do you say if, if you're the least at that point? Please be nice to us. Please don't don't set the bar that high. Like that's like that's all. You're just throwing yourself at the mercy of Austin yeah. Matthews' generosity. Like, do you really need 120? Can't you deal with 104? Won't that be enough? Like that's basically what they're going to be saying to him. And 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 you know because Nathan McKinnon didn't take two million more than Connor McDavid. So like, why don't you just bump up a little bit on McKinnon and just kind of creep forward as opposed to leaps and bounds. I, I uh, it's, it's it's an interesting dynamic that uh, that they find themselves in. A good problem to have, I guess. But the, the reality remains: like, are they really going to trade Austin? Like, are they can't, really going to trade, trade Austin? Matthews? Can't trade him. And can't I, trade I, him. I mean, it's such a tough decision. But I, but I also would caution this, Ryan. And you're right. Like, Channy would know how Austin feels about the system and the city and the coach and everything. I would be so leery, even Austin Matthews, as great as he is, as important as he is of putting too much stock into anything a player says about a coach, about player decisions, about like, I, I just don't know if players know enough. They have their own feelings and they're worth whatever they, they feel, but they just don't know enough or think about it enough to, to put too much stock in. Oh, I'd like to have uh, whoever Lindy Ruff as a coach So go get him. Like, I just don't know if they know enough. Mm -hmm. I guess you yeah. just as an organization need to know, if there's a problem. And to your point, Pierre, I think they would probably know that by this point in time. Yeah, okay, they've so, had their exit interviews and, and so on yeah. and so on. Yeah. Although sure. I guess it was Kyle Dubas who did the exit interview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Uh, you, know, you assume um, they would have debriefed on it, I, no, I would assume. So the bottom line is you can't trade Austin Matthews if you are intent on still being a contender. Bottom line. But you also can't let him walk into free agency in 13 months. Well, okay, never mind 13 oh. months because he can walk but, himself into free agency then, in a month and a half. Well, you, you have to make sure he's signed by July 1st. You That's can't you do. do two different things. <laughs> okay, so, so, so you sign Pierre, him by July 1st. You don't have him. Yeah. So you don't sign him by July 1st. He's not signed. What are you going to do? You trade him on June 30th? Like, well, I'm putting it to you. You're the GM. Yeah. Pierre Lebrun's running the GM. You're negotiating. Hasn't worked. What are you going to do? It's July 30th, June 30th. He doesn't care. He's got all the marbles. He's got everything. He's got everything in his pocket. What are you going to do? Like, what can they do? It's an awful position to be in. I, 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 I don't like either scenario, but at the, at, at the end of the day, and now I'm being really blunt, Brendan Shanahan has two years left on his deal. But probably next season will feel like the true, for him, from his perspective, the Chauvin year from ownership's perspective. Mm -hmm. If you have one more year, at least, of Austin Matthews, you have one more year of Austin Matthews. Yeah, I like Sorry, Brent I here. Can be blunt about it. 
No, I like Blunt Pierre, buddy. I like that. That's good. That's good stuff. Uh, okay, let's shift over to Kyle Dubas then. So we hear about uh, you know meetings happening in Pittsburgh. Uh, looks like it's heading in that direction. I mean, is there any doubt, Pierre? After he meets, you know, you meet with Sidney Crosby. Do you, do you turn the job down after you meet with Sidney Crosby, or is this hurtling in that direction? <laughs> Hard to say. I will tell you that um, you know throughout this process, I've reached out to Kyle Dubas a bunch of times and finally late last week he very politely asked me to stop asking <laughs> you got the old <laughs> hey he, pierre pound sand no i, I mean it was very like polite this. but i think he and clearly he's said the same to other media members because there's nothing getting out that it this was a very personal thing for him about what he was going to do and that he didn't want to comment on it on or off the record and so we're just waiting to see on the other side of this what his decision is is it yes or no it's fascinating and you know, I said this last week, and I don't think Penguins fans are too pleased with me, but I'll say it again. I don't think this is a good job. But there's that. Uh, but I've also been, because I think this team in two years is in big trouble, but they could also, you know, have some success between now and two years. But I think this roster is headed for trouble. And I don't care how good you are as a GM. But I've also been around a long time, and I know that no matter how good a GM may be, they are paranoid people. And they always feel like if, if I sit out too long, I'm, is, am I in trouble of not getting a job again? Which seems ridiculous in Cal Lewis's case. But a job is a job. So we'll see ultimately what he decides. I think he feels I don't, you know, that he is good enough, accomplished enough, that he can be particular about where he goes. You know, obviously, like if he was desperate just to get back in, to get back in, he'd take it. He, he would figure out a way to go to Pittsburgh. But the fact that he's, you know, working through it tells you just how confident he is in his own abilities that if he doesn't like this job, he'll get offered another one. Um, so it, it's interesting, though. Like, there's only 32 jam jobs. If you want one, do you take one in a bad situation? Because you want the job. I think we can all look around the league and say, that guy took a job because it's his first job and it's not a great situation or it's bad ownership or they're playing in a college rank or whatever it might be. But they just, but like, they just, you know, you, you got to take it. But Kyle might be in the, at the level where he's not in that spot. Um, Pittsburgh's tricky because they probably have another year where they could be decent, but then they're going to be in a tough, in a tough situation and they have new ownership. Like what's that Fenway group think about a GM coming saying like, I don't think we're going to be good for a few years. You just spent $800 million on the franchise. You don't want to start rebuilding right away. That, that's another dynamic of the Pittsburgh job. There'll be a challenge for whoever takes it, Kyle or otherwise. Yeah. Well, I spoke, I mean, I spoke to a candidate who interviewed for the Pittsburgh gem job who said he, he gave them a pretty raw assertion of where their mm -hmm. roster was and where it's headed. <laughs> I believe and that candidate is no longer a candidate. <laughs> no longer a candidate. And, but, yeah. but the thing is, <laughs> but the thing is, a lot of these people that go in for these jobs, if they believe in themselves, feel they have to be that way. In those for sure. Otherwise, you're you're getting a job under yeah. a false pretense. So, uh, listen, any team with Sidney Crosby on it, I would never bet against. But, boy, is there a lack of depth on this roster and a lot of picks traded away. Aging core. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know. I mean, if, if, if listen... Ben Whaley may have thrown enough money at Kyle Dubas that he can't say no, but 
easy for me to say, but I would, if I were Kyle Dubas, I would wait out this cycle and see what happens next year. It's going to be interesting to see as the uh, musical chairs and the GM world continue in the National Hockey League. All right, Quizmaster, once again, big, long, detailed notes, and we have completely gone to overtime, mm. and all of his hard work is going to go to waste if we don't move on. So let's get to uh, the Stanley Cup final here. Pierre, you uh, once again did your annual polling of executives and people around the league and such in, in handicapping the Stanley Cup final. Uh, give us the results. What did you find in your article? Uh, where does the advantage lie according to the big brains? Yeah, so I reached out to uh, 13 front office people across the league and eight head coaches. So 21 people in total. Uh, 13, 13 voted for Vegas winning the cup. Uh, seven voted for Florida. Mm. And one gave me a pick him. So 13, 7, and 1, which I you think is... you got to strike that guy off your list. He doesn't get to uh, do any more of the polls. Yeah, yeah but, he gave, but, he gave a good, <laughs> but he gave a good quote within the fence sitting. So Come on, I, who is that? you got to out that guy. No, Come on, who is it? <laughs> I'm not, not outing that head coach. because uh, uh, Oh, it's it a coach. A okay, or, coach. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we'll narrow it down. So, um, you know, so I think 13, 7, and 1 is is representative of probably where, where the book is on it, right? I mean, Vegas is favored. Vegas is favored, and yet Florida's arguably beaten three teams that had better Crazy. odds. Well, not arguably. They've beaten three teams on the way here that had better odds to win the Cup than Vegas for the playoff started, right? And Boston, Toronto, and uh, and Carolina, unless I have that wrong. Because, you know, Vegas were Pacific Division champions. But I, I don't know. Like, like, you know, Vegas, I think, had this exact same amount of points in the standings as the Leafs. And then Boston and Carolina were ahead of those two teams. And Florida just keeps plowing through. So, um, at the end of the day, I have such a hard time. Like, a lot of the people picking Vegas said to me in their comments that they felt the Vegas blue line is so big and physical and deep that they would neutralize that Florida forecheck, that they wouldn't get to the net enough. And I understand that line of thinking, and it may, abs- it may play out, given what we saw from the Vegas blue line and the Oilers. But I will tell you that Florida got through a very deep Boston Bruins blue line. And they also got through, no disrespect to the Leafs, a very deep Carolina Hurricanes blue line. And it didn't seem to pose much of a problem for the Panthers. So, I don't know. I, I think you can talk you, I think you can talk yourself into any explanation of why you're picking X team. Personally, I'm taking Florida in six. Uh, they, they give me vibes of the 2012 LA Kings who were eight yes. teams and, and just got on a train and never got off. Mystic, who you got? Uh, I got Vegas. I got it's very. I hate to say it, but it's very close series. Like this is not one that I you, you. I say I got Vegas, and I am fully confident that it's going to go this way. Like it's it's a very close series. Um, but I for for many of the same reasons. As long as Aiden, you know, as long as Aiden Hill stays playing really well, that's that's a bit of a question mark. You're on your third or fourth straight goaltender, but I do think you start looking through the league and like what. Time teams go to the final. Right? Like everyone's like, well, what can you learn? What is it about these teams that other teams might want to replicate? And it's a dangerous game to play because it's the margins are so tight. And we know this, but the one thing I kind of take from both teams is that at its core, in the playoffs, it's often a very physical game around the net, right? Like, and, and your kind of ability to get there and be there and win there, it goes a long way in winning the playoffs. And I think. Vegas's defense makes that difficult. 
they're just they're just big people. They're, they're rangy and they're heavy and they're strong and they're and they do a good job and they have very good four good defensive centermen. Like they're they're a good defensive team and an excellent coach. Um, yeah, so I think Vegas will be a long series, a tight series. And Pierre, while well, you say they blew through Carolina, like they did and they did. Right. Carolina probably should have won three of the four games they played against them. Right. So like, our, it's not our, like they manhandled yeah. Carolina. Like they, 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 they their goalie yeah. won them some games and they had the big moments where they won in overtime and they deserve all the credit in the world. But it's not like it was like, Oh, they had no trouble with that. I mean, they had a lot no, of trouble no, with it, that. It, it was probably the closest games, sweep ever trouble playing games. Yeah. It was probably the closest sweep yeah, ever. Right. I, I just mean that you can make the arguments that, that the best two blue line cores in the league, belonged in Carolina and Boston before the playoffs started and Florida beat them. Panthers rolled through them. Yeah. So, no, that's a fair so, point. I mean, yeah. Okay. I'm looking at the clock here. Fellas. What about you, Shaggy? Uh, yeah, I'm going, I'm going Florida. What do you, who do you got Shaggy? You know? No, I'm going Florida. They've got, I, I yeah. agree with Pierre and I covered that cup run in 12 with LA where there was just something about that team. There was just something about how committed each guy was to the role. And they had these, like Florida just has these guys that are they're just so committed to doing it the right way. You got Matthew Kachuk, who's just I mean, is he's as much a gamer right so now as there is. By in saying the game. that, mm-hmm. are you suggesting that the teams they're beating are not committed to the roles? No, <laughs> but when a team has something going, I don't see it. Well, I'm I don't just saying when you say commitment, I'm like, off. I'm pretty sure the team they're playing is committed too. Like, like, I'm pretty sure Toronto's committed and Carolina's committed and Boston's committed. Right. I, I just, I just, I just don't know. Like, like when people say they want it more or they're committed, I'm like, I don't. That's full of sugar. Like, that is not true. Right. Everyone is committed. It's the playoffs, anyways. But well, I digress. Yeah, no, that's fine. And so replace, replace the word commitment. Basically, what I'm saying to you, Johnny, is Florida feels like they've got something special going right now. They seem to have bottled it, and they yeah. seem to have access to it when they need it. And I think that matters. They're in control of their high-end game. They can throw it out there when they need to. I like the goaltending. And I think Matthew Kachuk is a great story. So I think it's going to be a great series. Yeah. Uh, I've got the Florida Panthers. That's a way better answer. One true concern that I have for the Panthers uh, <laughs> is that nine days between games played. Mm-hmm. Two weeks off? It's yeah. uh that's hard, man. Yeah, and and hard. I've seen, I forget the year, but I've seen teams show up for the cup final with that much rust. And so let's see how they get yeah. back. On. Okay. Game we don't have to. One, uh, looms large. We got to switch over into rapid fire mode now because you guys have both been extremely long winded today. And uh, so the quiz master is uh, panicking behind the scenes. So we're going to go rapid fire on these last elements that we have here. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Keep your answers 15, 20 seconds, something like that. Uh, Chris, you can add some exciting music in post-production if you want, but it's not required. Uh, the guys will be exciting enough. Con Smythe, uh, leaders heading into the Stanley cup final. I'll chuck a couple possibilities out there, but Brovsky, uh, Matthew Kachuk, Aiden Hill, March so you guys can add another one in there. If you want, Johnny, we'll start with you. Who's the leader heading in and who do you think wins it? It's Bob, but it's not even really close. Like, I, you know what, as great as Matthew Kachuk has been, and that's saying something. It's Bob. I mean, you look at his impact on the series on each game, um, his game score, his goal saved above average, whatever you want to do. It's Bob. And I think he's one of those rare situations. If he plays decent, they lose. He probably wins it anyways. Hmm. Pierre? Yeah, it's Bobrovsky for me. I mean, I know that I've actually been, you know, I, I vote on the Consumite every year and I, I, and I try to say, let's not always give it to the goalie because 
He can't mm-hmm. win a cup without a goalie playing great. So so it has to be a really special year for me for a goalie to win the Conn Smythe. But I think he's in that category. I mean, I think what he's done is 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 a level above even what we see normally from a, a goalie that has a chance mm-hmm. to win a cup. I got Kachuk because I think what he's done already, I'm all about timing and man, this guy's timing for big moments mm-hmm. has been unbelievable and he's going to have lots of opportunity for more. And I think he's going to seize those opportunities. That goes into my next question. Who are we going to be talking about more in the Stanley Cup final? Jack Eichel or Matthew Kachuk? I think Matthew Kachuk because he just dominates the storylines and his personality is such that he is embracing being the lead figure in the NHL right now. So we'll talk about him a lot, but make no mistake, Jack Eichel, he's going the Ron Hainsey route. Don't make it forever. I make it one time. I'm going to go all the way to the final and maybe win. And Jack Eichel, when he's good, and he was good against Dallas, Pierre, he's he's about as talented as anybody in the league, not named McDavid. Like he's incredibly talented guy so with that ego he has that that confidence he's going to want to to rise to the occasion so i, I don't want to sleep on eichel but it's going to be mad yeah it's going to be kachuk but i gotta say eichel's story is unbelievable when you consider mm-hmm. the neck injury and him fighting for his medical like his medical vision that he had for himself the kind of surgery that he thought he he wanted after talking to doctors and a lot of people not believing in that I think that's undersold as a story what Jack Eichel went through. You got to be happy for the guy. So people may not recall, but Bill Foley stated an expectation on the Golden Knights when when they took over and when they were launching. Win a Stanley Cup within six years of their franchise birth. Uh, (laughs) Might well happen. Fantastic planning, Johnny, or just got lucky throwing that number out? Well, he made it the first year. If it was such great fat planning, you should have said, I want to win it in year one. <laughs> Imagine so, that. It's not like they took the path to a six-year climb. This is straight luck and really good management out of the gate and really good management since then. But let's not make this part of a grand plan coming together. Yeah. It's not the A-team. We love it when a plan comes together. Not at all. This is just he's hitting it. But what's amazing, right? Two finals, two conference Crazy. finals in six years. And I'm thinking, you know, I, Toronto hasn't made a final since 67. Like, it's insane yeah. the success they've had. Um, and here they are in their sixth year, maybe making them look like a prophet. He'll be mystic, Phil. Yeah, and I think I could be wrong, but I think only Tampa has won more playoff rounds uh, since Vegas came into the league as Vegas. Wow. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it is absolutely crazy. And... It's a team that has chased it from, from day one because of their early success and for the most part have been on the right side of a lot of aggressive moves. Not all. I mean, I think, you know, the way Marc-Andre Fleury exited, and I also say, you know, looking back, Pacioretty for a package that includes Nick Suzuki going to Montreal. But overall, just the gamble on Jack Eichel, beating out everyone for Alex Petrangelo in free agency, those are moves that that's why they're back in the cup final. Touching the trophy. We talk about this all the time. We pay attention to it. People roll their eyes. I will note that Alex Petrangelo uh, made the decision not to touch it when he was with the St. Louis Blues. They went on to win. Uh, They made the decision not to touch it. He was part of the leadership group making that call this year. Of course, the other guys basically did everything but take a lap with it. MJ, what would you do in that situation? (laughs) Does any of that crap even matter? No, it matters not. I mean, I know people track this and the people who touch it have this winning percentage and the people who don't touch it, whatever. But like, I think it's so hard to get to where they are now to take 
20 minutes and enjoy it like Florida did, like, you know, pick the thing up and like, yeah, yeah. like we accomplished something, not what we want to accomplish, but we're on our way. Like I would touch it comfortably. And if some, and if the team said, don't do it, I'm like, okay, I don't care. It's, it's fine with me. It means I'm not a particularly superstitious person. P. So I would probably touch it if it didn't matter. If the team said don't, then I wouldn't. If I could care less about a single thing in hockey, I don't know what it would be. Maybe the all-star game. Maybe the all-star game. Who cares if they – I never even look for it. I make a point of leaving the press box if I'm covering the end of a conference final before I even see if they touch it or not. Who cares? Ridiculous. Next. Well, the players care because it's clearly something they put some thought into. But I like it. Like firing up Pierre. Um, we got one more here before red card. Now let's just do red card. Let's yellow talk card about voting. GM award voting and when they vote on it. Let's do that again. Yeah, we really want to rile up Pierre and get him feeling passionate. Um, red card, yellow card, no card. So was, well, where would Bill Zito have, hang on? Yeah, hang yeah, on, go, go, Yep. Where would Bill Zito have finished on with ten days left in the season? Where would Bill Zito have finished in GM of the year voting? I'm well, just saying. well, that's what it's, I mean. It's it's so ridiculous. And, and by the um, way, I, I results based. This is w- whether the Panthers made the playoffs or not. I, I I it was I said this at the time. It was a bold move that would eventually pay off for him for Matthew Kachuk. I didn't realize it would pay off right away. But but you're right. I mean, uh, yeah. they, I just think like if he was good enough to be there a month later, then he was good enough to be that guy yeah. before the playoffs started, and he wouldn't have been. They should it's vote at the, the end of the regular the season mm-hmm. mindset by whoever votes for these things. All right, red card, yellow card, no card, gentlemen. Uh, And we're going to go to Bruce Cassidy on this one. Quote from Bruce Cassidy. To me, the biggest indicator of our lack of desperation was we had 24 giveaways tonight. I'm not sure you're beating the Arizona Coyotes in January with 24 giveaways. No disrespect to Arizona, but it's not the right way to play. We're trying to go to the Stanley Cup final against a desperate team. So to me... That's the whole game right there. First and foremost, love it. And as media guys, we hate criticizing people when they actually say something. But we had to use this as a red card, yellow card, no card, MJ. Called out the old Arizona Coyotes, your alma mater. Are you livid as a former member? What do you think? What color card? That's a red card. My coyotes are howling in their college rink. Come on now. What's I was like, what's what's the what's the gif or the gif when like it's like stop it, he's dead already. Yes. Like that's what it feels like. We get it. The coyotes are in a tough spot. Stop beating down on them. And to be fair, they're be not fair. the worst team in the league. No. Why don't you say Anaheim? Why don't you say Chicago? They were way worse than Arizona. Come on now. Bruce, that is on there kicking them while they're down. On the flip side, this is pro sports. You don't want people to give it to you? Be better. Play in a real rink. Get more fans. Win a playoff round. Whatever it might be. Don't be in bankruptcy all the time. Then no one says it. But I don't know. That's As a former yote, that's a red card. Come out to the desert and we'll put you in the middle of Yeah, that's no good. No good at all. P? I'm going to go no card because like, I'm begging hockey people oh. to, to be more interesting and more colorful. Um. Every time uh, a coach or a player says something controversial, we're reminded why they don't want to do that because we get all over them. I'm reminded watching the NBA playoff coverage and how amazing some of the series have been in the NBA, how there are crazier things said by everyone involved and no one bats an eye. And when we get into hockey, it's like, ooh, be careful. (laughs) Bulletin board material. Listen, it wasn't this wasn't Wayne Gretzky calling the New Jersey Doubles a Mickey Mouse franchise in 1982, yeah. okay? 
Let's well, I'll, I'll tell you what, Johnny, I don't know if they actually have room for bulletin boards on the dressing room at that college rink or not, but if they have room for bulletin boards, that'll be up there oh, when they yeah. play when they play next year. I'm going I'm going yellow card on this. It's, I, it's it's a hard shot and I'm sure I mean everybody would use Arizona as an example behind the scenes. They've been a punchline here for a little bit, fair or not fair, but he let that slip publicly, so to me that is a uh that's a yellow card. P, was Cassidy the one that wouldn't commit to which team would win the cup final? Is he on your little secret list there? Was that him? Uh, no, I don't think I'm asking the head coach of one of the two teams in the cup final who he's picking for the cup right. final. Just strangely enough. You should have. Strangely just enough, just I stayed here. away from uh, anyone in the final four. Come on. Uh, great stuff, guys. That was awesome. That was. And uh, as a point of reference. Yeah, go, Johnny. Hang on, Shuggy. As a point of reference, if you ever preface something with, with all due respect or no disrespect intended, yeah, you've be just ready to get here something disrespectful. <laughs> exactly. You, you know what's coming. A thousand percent. Yeah. Uh, Johnny, before we let you go here, Pierre and I got JP Berry coming up. But before we let you go, I have to ask you, man, nice. what you saw at the World Championships. Of course, Canada winning is awesome and everything. But, oh, boy, what was that spectacle like for the bronze medal winners? So – this world championship will entirely be the Latvian experience. You know, I was fortunate enough to be in Riga and the fans and the building and the city and the team and their kind of interaction and how it grew and grew and grew. And you, when you thought I couldn't get any more, 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 more intense, more, more, more real, it did. And so I'm sitting there, Shaggy, you know what it's like in the world championships. We're not in a press box. We're like in the stands. And so we have fans on the side of us. Mm-hmm. And when they won – the gold, the bronze medal. <laughs> I look over and the fans were simultaneously chugging a beer, singing a Latvian chant song, hugging their neighbor and crying all at the same time. Like it was just, and the players on the ice were crying. I was broadcasting the game. It was hard not to be emotional while watching these yeah, athletes celebrate with their people. And then you see the scenes in Riga from their return home on Monday it was a, I feel fortunate for having experienced maybe the coolest, most intense fan player interaction I've ever witnessed live. It was really, really special. Yeah, uh, that was awesome to see from afar, uh, MJ. And, you know, it, it, it gets me to an age old debate, but it was great that they, in winning the bronze, they won their last game of the tournament and, and it yeah. fed into the celebration. And I wonder, even though the silver medal is a better medal. Mm-hmm. The fact that they they won their last game, how that fed into it in terms of how festive that is, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess imagine if they'd have been in the gold medal final. I think for the first time ever, we would have seen a team go pouring off the bench to celebrate a loss in the gold medal right, game, well, that's what I going wanted. absolutely yeah. nuts, right? Like they are special yeah, the way they celebrate. Knows? They are they're it's amazing. I've had the privilege of covering some of their games uh, as well. John, and, you guys do an amazing way, job as always on the tournament. By the way, and hats off to Team Canada. Like, let's be yeah, completely honest. Yeah, when I saw the roster early on, I was like. I wonder if they'll make the quarterfinals. And, and again, yeah. I, it, it just shows you that this tournament is 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 so hard to predict every year because they came together as a team, right, MJ? Like, honestly, guys accepting roles and, and playing for each other. You often get way better rosters. I covered six of these men's worlds over the years. You get a star-studded roster, but they don't come together because everyone's like, "Why? how come I'm not in the first line, on the first fire player playing these minutes? The, the, you could tell there was, no one had an ego on this yeah. team. I mean, they came together, and uh, it was amazing to see. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff. Uh, great job today, guys. Much appreciated. Uh, Johnny, 
Go hit the bike out on the dock. Uh, Pierre, I don't know, let's go do some sit-ups on our front step. Sure. It's about the same thing, Johnny. If someone were to drive by our house and see me doing sit-ups or push-ups on my front step, it's the same as you riding a stationary bike on your dock. Except nobody can ride by, drive by my house because I'm on an island and no one goes in front of me. The boaters, you can't get to me. The boaters, That's same the thing. The fishermen are looking oh, at well, you thinking, It's, it's midweek, school's in. There's no boaters up here right now, Pierre. <laughs> Lake is like glass, 28 uh, degrees. One more month. Beautiful. One more month. We'll check in, meantime, in with both. I'll see you in Vegas. Yeah, we'll check in with Pierre, both of you guys at the, at the Stanley Cup. I'll see you on Thursday night in Vegas. Yeah, more to right come on. here on the podcast, folks. Yeah. Yeah. Super agent J.P. Berry joining Pierre and I. Johnny, great job. Uh, stick around. Lots to come. We want to tell you about a truly Canadian company. Cross Country Canada Supplies and Rentals provides equipment and supplies to all facets of the Canadian construction industry. But what sets them apart is their get her done attitude. It's a core value of their company. I've been to the offices. I've seen how they proudly display that on the wall at each branch. Every one of the staff members lives by the get-or-done formula to ensure they'll never let their customers down. They'll bend over backwards to get their clientele what they need when they need it, and they don't make excuses. Cross Country Canada takes great pride in this attitude, and they truly believe that the success of their customer is their success. You can't get much more Canadian than that. All right, time now for Who's Got Your Back, brought to you by Liberty Smart Security, a company that, of course, specializes in having your back, your family's back, high-quality advanced smart security systems for your home or your business. They use leading-edge technology to protect the things that you value most in life. Your home is your castle, so why not protect it with Liberty Smart Security? Uh, visit our partners, libertysecurity.ca. Okay, the agent business fascinates the heck out of me, Pierre. I I'm fascinated by it. The, the inner workings of their job, the, all the things they have to do that we never hear about, what it's like, the pressure, the negotiating. And J.P. Barry is about as experienced as it gets. Uh, from CAA, he and Pat Brisson, a couple of super agents in the league, had a great conversation with him today and some fascinating stuff about the old days, the way it used to work, the grind that it used to be, and what it's like in his shoes. Yeah, going back to the fax machines and uh, and faxing contracts. Stressing out over a fax machine, right? I mean, that doesn't feel like that long ago to me. And um, yeah, and he's, listen, J.P. Barry's always been a really fair guy to cover. Uh, You know, I've had to, you know, same with you, but, uh, you know, talk a lot, talk about a lot of stories that he was involved with because of all of his high profile clients. And it's, there's been a lot over the years, including like we talked about a year ago, the Evgeny Malkin negotiation was wild with the Pittsburgh Penguins. And, uh, and I know that was, that was uh, a pretty emotional time for, for Malkin, but uh, JP (laughs) Barry obviously getting him his contract in the end. Yeah, and listen up, Calgary Flames fans, because we did dive into Backland. Uh, And also for the Vancouver Canucks, uh, Elias Pettersson and that upcoming negotiation. Bit of news from J.P. JP Berry on that front as well. So presented by Liberty Smart Security, who's got your back? Here's J.P. Berry. And joining us from CAA's offices uh, in Toronto, J.P. Berry. So Mike Johnson was just on, and uh, he was out at the cottage uh, I know Pierre spent some time out there too. JP, what is, I don't know if there's such a thing as downtime for an agent in the summer. What does downtime look like for an agent this time of year? Unfortunately for us, it comes a little later. I think uh, 
you know, there's some hope that we can have a summer in later July and August, and we all push for that. I know uh, Pierre checks out the July at 5 p.m., and we can't do that because our job's not done. But, <laughs> you know, if we really don't, if we don't get some of the major deals done by that first week, then things can drag and you might as well just go and wait for the phone to come, you know? <laughs> so we've all seen Jerry Maguire. Uh, lots of people have watched Entourage. These are shows that have agents prominently featured in them and they are displayed as guys that have like multiple phones working while they're supposed to be relaxing constantly with stuff on the go. Would you say that those are accurate representations of what it's actually like in the working world as a, uh, as a super agent? No, not really. No, I mean we're you know, we we operate. We can watch that show. It's funny. You got one guy trying to do everything, and and that's impossible. Yeah. So that might have been a, uh, an image of an agent um, in the nineteen eighties or nineties. As you know, things have changed a lot. Like we work as a group. I mean, we're in hockey. We're we're in six, seven countries. So our our group is operating in six or seven countries. So you know, I have co-agents working with me in Stockholm and Moscow and Prague. Like there, you cannot be in all these places. So we have to cooperate and we and collaborate. And I think that's the way we've set up our group is to be a big team, really. JP, you've got a lot of high profile clients. One of them uh, that you've had for a long time is Evgeny Malkin. And a year ago, heading into this offseason, uh, that was one of the more dramatic negotiations kind of playing out. <laughs> front and center um, uh, as you got that deal done. Finally, he briefly went to market, um, you know, bring us back to what that was like in terms of the emotion and, and obviously your job as an agent to stay level headed through all that, but getting that deal done with at the end of the day with Pittsburgh. It's getting, you know, it's because of the cap, it's getting more difficult. I've noticed that a lot of our negotiations have gone down to the wire lately. I mean, or taken several months or taken a lot longer than they normally have. And I understand because the teams need to know exactly to the dollar sometimes what they, what they can do. And on that one, I mean, I think I had a, you know, you have a client who's done what he's done his whole career and he's very proud of it. And, you know, he knew what he wanted and they had to either move on, on the dollar or the term in that last 48 hours. And, it really didn't happen until after the bell went off. So once they did show an inclination to move, um, you know, we, we decided to like try and spend three hours with them only, like not, you know, we knew there were other teams waiting, but let's try one more time to see if we can close that gap. And I, you know, I think both sides moved a little and we got it done, but it was, you know, he didn't really, I think at the end of the day it showed he wanted to stay. And I think, um, I think Sidney Crosby, had spoken to him several times also, and they're they're close that way about you know their career together and playing together. So that had an impact impact also. Another big one you got done during the season um, was David Pasternak, and there was a lot of a lot of coverage of that uh, throughout the year uh, because of how important he is to the Boston Bruins. But also, I, I'm interested in your vantage point on this because we know the Boston Bruins have established a very tight salary cap culture. Uh, within that paradigm, and and I wonder what was that like for you to negotiate through that to get David Pasternak his his big contract. I knew it was going to be difficult from day one because we had a pretty large gap about where we saw the you know the comparables and the players that you would put on the group, and 
you know, if there was six players, they were starting at the bottom and I was starting somewhere near the top. So I knew there was going to be, you know, a lot of work and it turns out it, it, it went pretty far. I think, uh, David helped me a lot in that negotiation. Like <laughs> when you have a, a client who's going into his year like that and he's just scoring and scoring and scoring it, it, uh, it puts Boston's back against the wall. And I think, you know, the end of the day, I know the owner was also involved and we, we, you know, we didn't, I did fly down to Boston and spend some time with the ownership group and, and Don and, you know, it's, it was a very difficult negotiation, but I think we also avoided like taking it right to the wire. Like we got it done a little bit before mm -hmm. we had to, and sort of around the trade deadline was the, the time that was important for them. But, um, I don't believe anything would ever have happened. I think they would have played with David yeah. no matter what, but, uh, I, you know, that wasn't uh, something that was working in their favor, but, um, it's, they're, they're getting more difficult. And if the cap is only going to go up a million dollars this year, then, there's going to be some really difficult negotiations this summer. Yeah, no kidding. I wonder how much, I mean, you have to adjust expectations or is your client's value is your client's value? And, and you know, does the whole system, you know, does the whole system reset in a way moving forward when it goes up a little bit more? Like how much does that cap affect the dollar figure that you're able to go out there and grab for your clients? And, I know that, you know, there's there's going to be teams with space, but it's not necessarily the best situation. And you're looking to put your guys into the right situations as well. The measure of success isn't always just the maximum dollar figure. It's good situations. So how tricky does it get? Getting very tricky because I think the teams now, too, if they want to improve their club, they've got to make some trades also. Like they can't mm -hmm. just step up and say, I want X, Y, Z and free agency. They may have to juggle and they may have to, you know, move a, move a player and we're seeing that where players are ending up on teams near the basement. And, you know, we can all talk about the theory of that, but it's, it's not, it's not good right now. And I think a lot of teams did not plan for the cap to be this tight for three or mm -hmm. four years. I mean, we all know it, that's the situation we're in, but many clubs that had made plans five, six years ago, out six years, thinking that cap increases would be you know, at least modest and we've dealt with a flat cap, and I think, I think this summer, last summer, and this summer are going to be the two toughest ones. And uh, we'll see what kind, how many trades happen in the next four or five weeks, just to make make cap room for certain other clubs. Well, let's touch on a couple of files that are upcoming now. And I know there's only so much you can say, JP, but one of them is Elias Pettersson, who has a year left on his deal, um, coming off a fantastic season for the Vancouver Canucks. Um, Obviously, it would surprise me if the Vancouver Canucks didn't want to come to you this summer and see what you what they could do a year ahead of time, which is usually what happens with high-profile guys like that. What's your sense of, of, of how that might play out? I think I think we're going to watch that market for players that are already out there a little bit um, this summer. But I think you know, in the talks that we've had, they do want to get together sometime you know sometime this summer or early fall at least, like in the next few months to try and talk about the future. So I think, you know, we've stayed in contact. Um, Elias is, is, you know, he's thinking about it. And, um, you know, I, I think it's going to happen. I think we're going to sit down this summer and we're going to talk about um, staying there long-term. So that, that is the plan right now. The other one is Michael Backlin, uh, also one of your clients. Um, and, and that one might have a little more urgency to it 
at least I think you can correct me, but just given some of Craig Conroy's comments about all of his players who have a year left, and we had Craig on our podcast last week, it's pretty clear that I think he wants to get some answers from all those players about whether they want to stay uh, and extend or not. Um, what, what's your sense? I mean, have you heard from Craig Conroy? And what's your sense of how that might play out with Michael Backman? I have heard from him, and um, Michael's still working out in Calgary, so I know he does plan to talk uh, to Craig again this week before he leaves. I think he heads back to Sweden uh, early next week for, for a while. And, um, you know, they're going to sit down and talk. It was not dissimilar to last year, I think, with changes. I know he sat down with Brad Living at that time about the future. And, you know, when you've been with the organization, as long as Michael has, he's been there since the very beginning and he played with, he played with Craig also. And uh, he's been there that long, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> Early on, I have to look at the crossover, but I believe they did play together. Um, so I think, you know, they'll sit down with him and, and um, you know, he's got one year left, so he's got some decisions. I mean, he's been a Calgary flame his whole life, but he needs to hear from the GM about what the future is and, there's a shorter window now for him. Like he really, like any player, he wants to win and he has not, you know, he has not gone really deep in the playoffs or challenged for a Stanley cup. And it's, it really is something that he wants to try and do. So they're going to have to have a good talk. JP, I wonder about the conversations. I'm fascinated by the role of the agent in these situations. You talk about Craig talking with Michael. Um, Is it different for every player in terms of, you know, some players would be comfortable sitting down with the GM and having that chat. Are you always present? Is it different with different guys? And I imagine there's lots of stuff that goes on behind the scenes. People would never know about, about conversations you have, you know, what's next, Uh, the coaching situation, all of that. It's kind of your job to suss these situations out for your clients too, isn't it? It is. I mean, yes. And with a veteran player, obviously when you have a veteran player with a long relationship with the GM, there's three of you. The player is going to step up and self, you know, be an advocate and have some face-to-face meetings. And and uh, usually I'm on the phone with the GM before that and after that, and with the player both before and after. But you want to involve them if they have that relationship. Then it, you know, it should help things. Um, other situations, you have a young player who really you're putting them in a bad situation if you're putting them in behind a clock, a locked door with the the GM and he's trying to uh, if there's pressure, but so you have to prepare your player for certain GMs might want to put pressure on them before they go home or, you know, at the end. So every situation is completely different on how it's managed with the, you know, player involvement and in helping you in the negotiations. I mean, Pasternak was a great example. I mean, he, he was happy to meet them too. He's been there. He, he you know, it wasn't just me calling them. He went in and he met a few times and uh, you know, it, I think it depends, but someone like Michael Backlund, a veteran like that, they're always going to have that, mm-hmm. you know, ability. He's, he's a leader on that team. He can walk in and have a discussion. So I, I want to go back for a second, just for, you know, people listening and watching us to get a bit of a background in you, JP. They, I mean, they've seen your name in the headlines for a long time because of all the clients that you have. But um, I wonder how many people realize that, first of all, you started at, in hockey at the NHLPA, right? You, you worked in the NHLPA offices. Uh, after working at a Toronto law firm, um, you started at the PA before you branched out and, and became an agent. Maybe you can talk about your, your start that way. Yeah, the PA was very different then. It was very small. I was one of the first few lawyers that came in to work with uh, Bob Goodnow at the time. And uh, um, I, you know, was, I was a labor and employment lawyer in Toronto. I played you know, good hockey background, but I was 
that had both those labor and employment things that they wanted people to be involved with. And, you know, really my job in the early going, I was involved sort of uh, overseeing the agents. So I got to learn a lot about what the agents <laughs> were like in our, our business. I had to, uh, um, it was a bit different agent group back then. I mean, we're talking about a time in the early nineties when many of them did not have a laptop, did not have a computer, uh, um, a guide and record book. And that was it. eh? <laughs> that's what they had. It was difficult. Yeah. And some of them we had to drag into the, uh, the age of internet. And, uh, we yeah. forced, I remember one of our first requirements was to explain to them that there's this thing called, a called a laptop computer now that you can buy. Cause they, they, you know, there was computers, but none of them, they're on the go. They're traveling. Yeah. So yeah. we required them all to uh, to be learn how to plug in and check in with us. And my goodness. Um, and that was yeah. We set up. That was the first time when we set up uh, all the uh, the back database to make comparisons of players. And you know we could talk to the agents about what their their comps were. And so we were very involved at that stage in trying to take the business to the next level. And um, you know, and the clubs did the same. I mean, they had access to statistics that we didn't have. Like some of our early fights were literally going in front of an arbitrator saying they have all these stats and they refuse to give them to us. And we actually had to argue that we were entitled to the stats. And of course yeah. we won, of course we won, but that took sometimes took a year to get. And then, and then the stats arrived just so, you know, they arrived in boxes. We all know <laughs> they, they didn't do that to you. Yes, they sent you wow. boxes of stats to bury yes. you in numbers, so you didn't know where to find what you needed. Wow! wow. So we would have to, so we would have to input them into our system versus just plugging in. Now it's all, as we know, it's all <laughs> plugged in back and forth. But uh, that's you dirty. Had, pool. You had to fight hard to, to to you know build our comps. So um, I was doing that for two or three years. Um, you know, obviously we had the difficult lockout in '95. The new CBA. We were involved in drafting the CBA. It took a few years, the group did. And uh, um, so, yeah, I moved on. But in 1998, I decided to move on. And I was lucky, um, you know, I had worked closely with Mike Barnett at IMG. And um, when I gave my resignation, he was the first one to give me a call to to join them. So that was that was, that was my break in moving. I was going to go back to law and ended up, you know, going into agency. Right. Hmm. And, and, and by the way, going back to how the things were in the old days, when I started this job, and, and Ryan, you would remember this, but I remember I'd, I'd be talking to an agent or a GM in my early days. And I was like, well, is the player signed? And then e either the agent or the GM said, well, the contract's just been faxed over. He still, yeah. he still has to, it was <laughs> almost a fax machine. And the, yeah, yeah, you have to wait till the, for the contract. That was a nightmare uh, because we were, we were taking these negotiations right to the buzzer and I can remember sitting in the fax machine area that we had set up in the Toronto IMG office. Just sweating. And the deal, a couple of deals were not quite done. So I, I'm, I'm not going to say whose deal it was. <laughs> so we were still trying to figure out like said, bonus clauses and on the phone and Mike was on the phone and I was on the phone. And so I started shoving fax pages into the machine and plugged, sent the number and I kept sending the front first page over and over and over again, the of the of the SPC, and we were trying to get the other pages going. So I would just oh, no. so I sent like thirty times the first page to buy like an extra fifteen minutes. So as long because as long oh, as wow. the facts had commenced, as long as the facts had commenced You're under the wire, before, yeah. under the wire. So yeah, then you were I good. bought an extra That's half amazing. hour one time. 
<laughs> hey, the uh, the JP no, no. Barry that walked, sorry, Pierre, that walked into his first negotiation where it was your job in that meeting to figure out how much money someone else gets to make the very first time you did it. Do you recall that? And how different is the JP Barry that, that walks, walks into the room today? Pretty different. Um, I think in the early going, you know, especially since I had worked at the PA and we were talking about leverage points and pushing, um, you could be a little more aggressive. You're, you were trying to be a little more aggressive and every once in a while you start to learn that you can get burned by, by just assuming that you're going to get your way or you're going to use the leverage a certain way. I think, I think when you've been doing it now, like it's obviously it's been 25 years for Pat and I doing negotiations for players and um, it's now we, we kind of know where we are. Like, I think we have enough dialogue before we get into negotiation. We talk to teams, we get a, a good idea of where they want to go. So I think there's a lot more prep work than just stepping into a negotiation. It's like both sides figuring things out so that when you actually get there, you're really talking about a tighter range and you've already discussed things. So I would have to say uh, experience does help a lot, especially in difficult negotiations, you know, about... <laughs> the tone to take and the tone not to take in certain, certain times. Well, I want to go back just quickly. One last trip down memory lane, because I remember writing an article for the Canadian press about you. You're a young agent at the time, Mike Barnett, who you were working with at IMG. Uh, of course, Mike Barnett famously was Wayne Gretzky's agent for many years, but had a huge stable of, of, of hockey players at IMG. Mike Barnett was leaving the agency business to, uh, to go to the Arizona Coyotes and was essentially leaving you, you know, uh, the file, right, JP? And, and because you were already working there. And I remember writing about this. And, and I think, you know, people have to be in your shoes in that moment to be a young agent. And let's just call it for what it is. There are other agents in the industry thinking, Mike Barnett is out. Let's go after this young yeah. J.P. Berry guy and see if we can steal clients. I mean, what, what could you say about this? That here? This here. might actually be your got your backstory, I would think. It actually, oh, it sounds actually, like yeah, a heck of here. a good got your backstory. He did. You know what? I was gonna. He he jumped the gun on me there because I was gonna say Pierre was it was helpful that he called and 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 put out a big article about what was going on behind the scenes because there wasn't. Well, I was just curious. How's this young agent gonna deal with this? Yeah. Well. I was on the road, I think, 13 months out of the 15 months after he left just wow. to make sure that all the clientele was going to be there. I had to do meetings uh, everywhere. So it was uh, it was extremely difficult behind the scenes. You didn't want to show that at the time, but, you know, you had to make sure you got on the road and saw every single client. And when your clients are ranging from northern Sweden to um, west, you know, to Vancouver Island, then a lot of travel so basically i think i was on the road 13 months out of the next 16 months and and we did um you know strengthen our group i brought in some more people to work with me and and um and then eventually um i partnered up with um with pat also and in, in right the, at the end of that time frame so we brought our two groups together right around that same time frame so you know we it was a, a long process of trying to make ourselves like a the I think we like to think we were that next generation of agents that was coming in because we were both pretty young at the time and um, it worked, you know, I mean, our partnership has worked also and uh, you know, we've worked hard together to put a team, but yeah, Pierre, you're my gut. 
got my back, I guess, at that time. It was a very nice <laughs> article and, and introduced, uh, Who knew? And introduced what, what was going on and it got picked up. And so Pierre gets the, uh, the nod today for having my back. Well, yeah. and honestly, I, I, as a young journalist, I was so intrigued by that part of the business, right? Who's representing who and what's he going on? He wasn't trying to get your back, JP. He was trying yeah. to see if there was some gritty <laughs> little detail that could, he could grind out of you, and he inadvertently helped you. Well, no, I, I mean... He, well, he went all the way back to New Brunswick and was asking people about my background in New Brunswick. Oh, goodness. And, yeah. Yeah, like he was... Uh, he I was wouldn't want to have Pierre Lebrun digging into me. That's all well, I can say. No, thank you. Had, you. you had big shoes to fill with Mike Barnett gone. Yeah, it's, it's a fascinating uh, world, boy. And, that's and awesome. I gotta, maybe and I maybe he was say. actually working for another agent who told him to write that article. Yeah, exactly. Thought yeah. it would go a different yeah. direction, maybe. Sewer this know. guy. Yeah. That's funny. Well, JP, listen, man, thank you so much for doing this. I know it'll be a busy few months before you actually get a chance to put your feet up. So we appreciate it. And uh, yeah, free agency coming, the draft coming. Uh, make sure you're picking up our calls, man. Okay. <laughs> Please. All right. Please. Take care, yeah, JP. Appreciate it, okay. JP. Thank you. And that'll wrap the podcast, folks. Thanks again to JP Barry for joining us. LeBron and Johnny, much appreciated, guys. And, of course, big thanks, as always, to our sponsors. Cross Country Canada Supplies and Rentals, Kuma Outdoor Gear, and Liberty Smart Security. Uh, Johnny and Pierre are on their way to the Stanley Cup Finals. So it'll be an on-location edition of Got Your Back NHL next week. Until then, enjoy the games. We'll see you soon. Cheers. Cheers.